I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Cheeky Scientist Radio. We have a very special show for you today. Uh, lots of requests for understanding your job search from A to Z. Uh, the United Nations has just put out a, a new article or a new release with the numbers of job losses uh, that occurred in the second quarter of 2020. 400 million is the amount. Now, as a PhD, you might be thinking, how does this affect me? Maybe you're still in academia. Maybe you are, you're still getting your PhD. Maybe you're a postdoc, a TA. Clearly, you're experiencing some shifts. You know that a lot of undergrads are not coming back to the campus this fall. Uh, some of you uh, will not be coming back uh, this fall either, uh, depending on where you are in the world, of course, the, the fall. By that, I mean the second semester. And you're trying to figure out what you need to do for your career. The answer across the board is take your career into your own hands. But what does that mean? There's a lot of strategies out there, a lot of things you could be reading online line or otherwise, a lot of things you might be hearing from other people. Many of them are not true. Most people have no idea what they're doing in their job search, especially if you're, you're in academia, if you're a PhD like most PhDs, you have not been surrounded by people that are working in industry careers or in non-academic careers in general. You're, you're in the academic bubble or you've spent a large part of your life there. And no matter what you've read online, you are more influenced by the people that you've been around, other academics. There's a lot of lifetime academic career counselors. There are a lot of PIs, a lot of professors, uh, maybe people that are in positions lateral to you, uh, postdocs, other PhD students, that one friend of a friend who has a PhD that took their PhD off their resume and put that they had a master's on it instead and somehow got hired, like your PhD is a liability. Of course, you heard that through three different people, and it's in a sample size of one and N of one, but it scared you enough to have you take your PhD off of your resume. That's just an example of how easily we can be influenced uh, when we don't know about a particular field. Getting a job is a field in itself. There's a uh, a sector of industry that's just about helping people get jobs, just about recruiting, about career development. It's a, getting a job is a second job in itself. And it's not so much about the strategies that are available to you. It's about the sequence in which you apply those strategies, the sequence in which you spend your time, uh, how you allocate your resources, and in which order you allocate those resources. As a PhD, you understand the importance of this if you've ever read a methodology section in a peer-reviewed journal article. If you've ever followed a protocol or a lesson plan, you know you cannot do step 17 first and have the same result. So today, I am here with you to take you through 42, the 42 steps of getting hired in industry. Step number one, recognize that your job search is backwards. You're spending all of your time on your resume, your LinkedIn profile. How do I know this? How do I know that you're doing this? Because we've worked with thousands and thousands of PhDs at Cheeky Scientist, and we see trends. 
every individual job search, just like many things in, in life and many things in, in research, there is a, a nuance for an individual, right? Every experiment uh, that you might do in a lab, for example, is going to be slightly different. The result's going to be slightly different. So you do them more and more times to increase the sample size so that all of those nuances even out. So after working with thousands and thousands and helping thousands and thousands and thousands of PhDs get hired, those nuances even out and you know what the best practices are. So these are the best practices. And number one is you have to recognize that spending all of your time and resources on your resume, on your LinkedIn profile is incorrect. You should get those things right, of course, but as far as your time goes, you should spend the least amount of time on those items, your professional profiles, the most amount of time on getting job referrals. You need to realize that. Second, you have to understand that no matter how hard you work or how driven you are, you can't hit a target you don't set. You have to figure out which jobs you actually want or whatever you're doing before that will not matter. You can't just spray and pray. This is an old adage uh, that means taking your resume and just putting it out there everywhere and praying for a result. This will not work. This will not get you hired. Number three, there's only a certain number of career tracks. Don't get overwhelmed by thinking, oh my gosh, there's millions and millions of different job titles. And of course there can be. I always think of it, and this is just me nerding out as a life scientist. I think of job titles, right? Or the, the, the original job title is like the original gene, is like the gene and then the, the, the protein can be spliced, right? And, and the gene can be spliced, I mean, to create a bunch of different proteins from that one gene. Think of it that way. So you have the original job title, which is the gene. This may, may not make sense to a lot of you, uh, or, or it may. Uh, and then you have that gene get spliced, and now there's not just one protein coming from that gene. There can be an unlimited amount of proteins. So in the same way, you might have a base job title such as scientist, but of course, there's many variations of that. What, ki what type of scientist? You could be an application scientist. You could be a research scientist. You could be a data scientist. You could be a user experience scientist. All of these are job titles. And the complexity or the variations continue. Application scientist could be application specialist or application engineer or field application scientist. Don't get caught up in that. Just realize there's certain career tracks. We have a lot of resources at CheekyScientist.com that'll help you understand uh, the five main career tracks that there are for you as a PhD. Number four, there are certain qualities that you need to identify in each job. So does the job pay a lot? That is one quality. Is it writing intensive? Is it numbers intensive? Write down the qualities that are the most important to you and then rank those qualities so you have a, a guide, a key with which to look at these different job titles and to see, does this job allow me uh, to do these characteristics or allow me to spend my time this way as judged by these qualities? Number five, fit the right job to your ideal professional lifestyle. Do not look at job titles based and, and choose one based on what so sounds important. Instead, figure out how you want to spend your day. What, was, what is the average day of your ideal week look like? Write it down. Do you want to work with large teams, small teams? Um, do you want to be able to go into work whenever you want? Do you want to work remotely? Um, do you want to spend all of your time working on the innovative, uh, the innovation side of the spectrum at a company or the commercial, commercialization side of the spectrum? You have to figure out what you want to do on a day-to-day -day basis and then fit a job title to that. Number six, 
why will employers not hire you? Why will employers not hire you? It's not because of your lack of technical skills, not as a PhD. When they see PhD, they see somebody who is very good at learning technical or specialty skills. The reason they won't hire you is because they don't know if you have transferable skills. Realize that first. That's the key. And then number seven, realize that your technical or specialty skills actually come in third in terms of the most important things to employers. Number one most important is your transferable skills. Number two is your results or at least your ability to, ability to speak in terms of results. Number eight, what employers are really looking at is whether or not they can sit next to you for eight hours a day without going insane. Can they spend eight hours a day next to you? Will they enjoy that or at least get through it? Can they even tolerate it? That's what they're looking for more than anything else. Or in the same fashion, can their team be around you for eight hours a day? They're not looking for the most technical, the most intelligent person, not first and foremost. They're looking for the most agreeable person, the least riskiest person, especially right now. Number nine, you have to highlight your transferable skills. You can't just have them. You have to communicate them on your resume, on your LinkedIn profile. Number 10, you have to identify the transferable skills that are the most relevant for the current economic times. Right now, they're the skills that make you the least riskiest candidate. We are in a recession, so skills like risk management, risk mitigation, change management, I've talked about these on previous radio shows a lot. Learn them, communicate them. If you haven't updated your resume or LinkedIn profile since the beginning of the year, you need to do so. Number 11, no one's reading your resume if you're just uploading it online. It's not getting into the hands of a person. You have to get it into the hands of a person. Know that. Number 12, there are five resume formats and only five that you should have in your toolbox right now. Number one, what we call the gold standard resume. We did an entire radio show on this. You can go back and learn about it. The radio show was on the different resume formats. There is a functional format where your work experience section highlights your transferable skills and your technical skills, not your academic job titles. There is a specific recruiter resume format, a combination resume format, and then finally a sidebar resume format. Number 13, there are five sections on every format. Your professional summary section, your work experience section, and this is in order, after that, your education, your technical skills, and then finally, honors, awards, and hobbies. Now, you could count your contact information as a different section, but really, that is in that professional summary at the top. Make sure you include an email and phone number you're actually checking so that, that if they decide to call you without emailing you first, you're available. Number 14, your, your resume bullet points need to be designed carefully with every bullet point starting with a transferable skill and ending with a quantified result, and then put the, transfer, uh, the technical skills in the middle. The technical skill is what's in the middle of this sandwich of the three-part resume bullet point. Transferable skill such as risk management, right? And then the bullet point ends with resulting in two publications, including a nature publication, or many of the other quantified results that we've talked about previously. And then you sandwich them together with expertise and XYZ technical skill. So together, it would look like risk management experience, including expertise in budgeting in the lab, resulting in three grants that provided uh, resources over the course of five years, just as an example off of the top of my head. Number 15, you have to hack 
the applicant tracking system software programs by looking at different job postings for the jobs that you want, using a word cloud with our word cloud hack, which I've discussed many times, taking all of that content from the job descriptions, putting it in a word cloud, and the word cloud will show you which transferable and technical skills are used the most when describing those jobs, right? It's just a numbers game. And then you put those words on your resume and that'll help you hack the applicant tracking system software. You do the same thing for LinkedIn as well. And number 16, recognize that you're valuable to employers, but they can't find you, especially on LinkedIn. Your problem is a problem of visibility. You are invisible to employers. Number 17, if you have a bad LinkedIn profile or a bare bones LinkedIn profile, we've discussed data before showing that a bare bones LinkedIn profile, people with those minimal LinkedIn profiles that are not done well, they get less, they get contacted even less than people without a LinkedIn profile. So if you give somebody your resume, you upload it online, it's better for you not to have a LinkedIn profile, and the study has shown this, than it is to have a LinkedIn profile that's not complete. Number 18, how employers use LinkedIn to get hired. You need to understand this. Get inside their heads, go to LinkedIn Recruiter and see what the different search fields are. Number 19, your headline is the most important real estate on LinkedIn. It's in that visual center. The headline as well as the banner picture, you need to choose a banner picture, add some text up there as well. Design it, make it custom, get a professional headshot, and make sure you're looking at our material on how to create a LinkedIn headline. Number 20, Fill out LinkedIn as, as complete as possible. There's 10 major sections on LinkedIn that you should have complete. LinkedIn will tell you what those are. Be looking at your SSI score as well. If you don't know what that is, search SSI score. LinkedIn has a score for how effective your professional brand is, and it will give you suggestions on how to build up your profile and to build up your network. Number 21, your professional brand, in this case for LinkedIn, your SSI score really matters. And a lot of it comes down to how active you are on LinkedIn. So you have to be active. You have to be commenting on other people's posts, reaching out to people, accepting uh, their connection requests, and then messaging them afterwards or messaging them, sending a note when you reach out. You want to be able to reach out without, without getting instantly rejected. So number 22 is make sure when you reach out, you're doing it in a way that benefits the other person. Okay? You're not doing it in a way that makes you look good. You're not sending your resume uh, you're not talking about yourself. You're not talking about your prestigious university. Number 23, know the difference between connecting and networking. Connecting is when you meet somebody for the first time online or offline. Networking is what happens when you follow up during the follow-up process, when you build the professional relationship. Step 24, if you hate networking, that's okay. You just have to connect in person. Now, this would be after the pandemic but you could connect online and then all of it can be done afterwards behind a computer or behind a phone. You just have to get used to it. Once you take the pressure off of yourself and trying to impress other people, it becomes easier. Then you just have to ask questions, which you're really good at because you're a PhD. Get curious, get into that discovery state of mind where you want to learn about the other person. You want to learn about what they're doing professionally. More on this later. Step 25. Don't, Take, add value first, AVF. Every networking script, everything that you write, everything about your reach out needs to be about the other person to start. Step 26, go further. Elevate the person's credibility. 
compliment their work, ask them questions about how they transition successfully, indicate in every way possible through adding value that they are a success, that they have credibility that you want to learn from them. Step 27, learn the straight line referral methodology. We've discussed this in previous radio shows. In short, there's three parts to getting a referral. Which part are you stuck at? That's what you have to figure out. Are you stuck at just getting a response? Have you gotten responses from people, but you haven't been able to take the conversation to deeper levels of professional intimacy? You haven't been able to add value and ask questions that go deeper and deeper. If you don't, things get awkward. They'll stop contacting you. And then the third section is where you're in the full swing of the informational interview. Step 28, those deeper levels of professional intimacy that I just mentioned, it's your job to guide your networking contacts to those deeper and deeper levels of professional intimacy. You have to go from saying happy holidays to congratulations on the new position to how did you get into that position? What was the transition process? To, oh, what, in, what interview questions did they ask? I'm starting to prepare for interviews myself and I'm just curious. What do you enjoy the most about this company? What do you enjoy the least? Right? You can start asking the, the uh, negative tone questions in terms of what's the most challenging, uh, what's the work-life balance later, but you have to go through those levels of professional intimacy in order. Step 29, follow up with people without being annoying. How do you do this? You continue to add value. You never say passive aggressive things like just seeing if you got my last message. Step 30, Make sure you're actually getting into an informational interview and staying there. Set those up correctly. Make time-specific and topic-specific requests. I really appreciate, appreciated, uh, I've really appreciated talking to you. I, I'd love to call you on the phone and just ask you two quick questions uh, to learn a little bit more about how you got your job and what you enjoy about it. Uh, do you have time next Wednesday? Time-specific, topic-specific. You don't make it open-ended like, hey, can I give you a call sometime and pick your brain? Nobody's going to agree to that because they don't know what they're committing to. Step 31, there are four stages of an informational interview and they are aligned with those four stages of professional intimacy that we've discussed before on the radio show about informational interviews. We've had a couple of them. Review those if you haven't because you need to execute them flawlessly. Step 32, stop making employers uh, stop annoying employers or stop being awkward with employers in the first 90 seconds. You have to get really good at the first 90 seconds because studies show that's how quickly you will make a first impression. That's how quickly they will decide whether or not they want to recommend you to the hiring committee. Think about how you're coming off just during those first 90 seconds. You just have to win the first 90 seconds. Think of it that way. It can make things simpler. Step 33, don't think the phone screen is just some small event or it should be taken lightly or because you can hide behind a phone and it's just by audio that you don't have to take it very seriously. You do. You have to have strong phone presence. You need to practice. The, the way in which I speak uh, right now over, over this podcast on this radio show uh, was not an easy lesson for me to learn. I had to record myself and listen to myself over and over again. And like everyone, you do not like how you sound when you first hear yourself. But you need to do that because what you'll notice is how monotone you sound. Nothing is worse for an employer than to talk to somebody on the phone who has a very monotone response, who's very subdued, who 
can't be heard. You have to have st strong phone presence, presence. Nobody has it to begin with. It comes through practice. Step 34, we are in the middle of a new age, the age of the virtual panel interview. You're going to have a panel interview and it's impossible to make eye contact with specific people during this kind of panel interview. You have to just stare at the camera. You must get good at this. You must get good at looking at a camera, looking at cameras when you're giving responses instead of looking down at Zoom or whatever other platform uh, that the company's using to interview you when it's by video. For in-person interviews, which will still occur, some are, are occurring now depending on your lo location, depending on the company, they will occur again. Uh, site visits will happen. You have to assume and you should prepare for them. Step 36, there are only four types of interview questions that you'll ever be asked. Four types. Is it a competency question? Is it an opinion question? Is it a behavioral question? What kind of question is it? For the fourth one, you can go to CheekyScientist.com. Of course, you can go listen to our recent radio show on interviewing as well. Step 37, understand the interview questions that you'll be asked by practicing the ones uh, that are most popular. You know you're going to be asked some question like, tell me about a time that you had a conflict with your supervisor or what's your biggest weakness. You don't need to memorize the exact question. You just have to understand the, how that question is framed. Think of it as a subtype, right? So it might be a behavioral interview question that's a bit more difficult, but it's the type of behavioral question that's framed negatively. And beyond that, it's a type of behavioral question that's going to address uh, how you are able to discuss your weaknesses. Step 38, master the star technique. Situation, task, action, result. Really, you just want to discuss the context, right, of your answer two years ago in the lab or when I was TAing. And then you want to talk about the problem and then the resolution and what you learned from that resolution. Step 39, make sure you have questions to ask the employer. Nobody believes you when you say, oh, I think you, I think you got all my questions. They're going to say, do you have any questions for me? Take that seriously. Turn the tables. Make them sell the position in the company to you. Step 40, avoid the basic salary negotiation traps. Avoid verbally committing to a salary offer. If they ask you uh, if you accept XYZ offer, say you're very excited about it, you'd love to see it on paper so you could take it home and discuss it. Very simple. That's called appealing to a higher authority. At CheekyScientist.com, we have a lot of materials on negotiation. We have a free negotiation ebook you can get on our website that will go through all of these different traps that you can avoid. What are your salary expectations? How do you answer that? Any reasonable offer will, will be considered. Or right now, I'm just really focused on, on the work and understanding the company and the team that I'd be with. Um, salary is not my first concern. What a great answer, right? Step 41, you have to negotiate. If you don't, they will not see you as a professional at, the, at their level. They will think that they're overpaying for you. Deal making is a key transferable skill. Have your walkaway number ready. Do not give them a number until you have a written contract. And then step 42, close the deal. It's called selling into the close. Always be selling what you're going to be doing for that company, the value you're going to be adding all the way through the negotiation and make it win-win. Don't try to beat them. Make it win-win. You're going to be working with these people afterwards. So that's 42 steps 
There could be a lot of sub-steps in there. We could add extra steps, but those 42 steps will help you understand the sequence of getting hired. So hopefully this will re-energize you, show you that there is a stepwise process for getting hired. If you have a PhD, we can help you get hired at Cheeky Scientist. If you want to learn about our flagship program, the Cheeky Scientist Association, it is the largest platform for PhDs who want to get hired into industry. It is the best job referral network available to you. We recently upgraded all of our material. We use green screen technology, light board technology. If you don't know what that is, go to phdsgethired.com. Get on the wait list for the program. We also have a lot of live webinars happening over the next few weeks, so stay tuned. Make sure you go to cheekyscientist.com. Get on our mailing list if you haven't already. Once again, the best and easiest to remember by audio, the best, easiest to remember URL to go to later is phdsgethired.com. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CHEEKYRADIO at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CHEEKYRADIO to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's Cheeky Radio, C-H-E-E-K-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs? and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button, and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees. Nobody else offers this. P 
phdsgethired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD and remember that knowledge is power and your network is your net worth. Oh, 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 oh,